Hello everyone and welcome to NGF News. My name is Alec and we have Joshua Cheatham here as well. Uh, for today's latest global developments episode, we're going to be talking about um, Finland and other European allies wanting to sign security pacts with the United States and also discussing more about Israel-Hamas war because headlines are just everywhere for this topic. So we will be discussing something else, which will be uh, will there be an end to the Israel-Hamas war and how that would look like. So. Um, first, we're going to start with uh, Finland and other European allies seeking security packs. So, Northern European countries are seeking uh, security alliances with the U.S. because of Russian aggression uh, over Ukraine. Uh, recent defense agreements between the U.S. and nations like Sweden, Finland, Denmark, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania want American troops uh, in the area, as well as they also want to prop up, uh, well, they want the U.S. to prop up more military bases as well. I think I read that for Denmark. Denmark wanted to have one or two extra military bases, um, or one or two U.S. military bases in their country. So this is fairly, very interesting. Um, and it's also interesting to see what Russia's response uh, will be should these security packs fall through. Yeah, this is definitely an interesting development because the countries that Alec just listed off, and there's a few more, Poland... Slovakia, Czech Republic, Hungary, um, they are NATO countries. So they're technically already balanced to a security pact where if Russia were to invade, Article 5 is triggered, which means that all of NATO comes to the response and helps uh, that country. So the security pact, I don't know what to call it. I'm going to an extra layer. Uh, an insurance policy, what, whatever, <laughs> yeah, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it, it, I mean that's. I think that's what it is. Um, I uh, finished an article that will be uploaded shortly on this um, issue itself as maybe a potential United States strategy, because what the outlines of the Finnish agreement that they just recently uh, did on December the 18th is an unimpeded access. To store and move military equipment, including ammunition, in all areas along the border with Russia, which includes the rail lines. So they have unimpeded access to these resources. A similar agreement is made, is made with Sweden last week. I don't know what the other PACs uh, have in their um, stipulations, but I'm going to assume that two is not just a coincidence, that it is a pattern, that all these agreements are going to be very similar. and so. This is maybe an, a strategy for the United States to tell Russia, basically, like, if the NATO Article 5 wasn't enough, here's another one. And here's one even better. They're going to allow us to do whatever we want militarily in their country. Mm -hmm. I think what this is, I think it's just enhanced NATO readiness uh, in case of Russian aggression. I think they don't want to label it where it's like, okay, we're going to prop, we want more NATO bases in our countries we want more u.s bases even though it still holds kind of the same weight towards uh in the russian perspective where it's like oh western expansion they're coming closer to my border this and that but nato was designed to be sort of against it, it was designed as a against russia type thing but i think what they're trying to do here is they're trying to put these u.s bases in there to make it seem like okay it's the united states wanting to lead a response rather than nato as it as a whole it's kind of like they're trying to make the the meaning as 
uh, hold less weight, I guess, because they're still going to conduct joint drills and whatnot. But I don't know. It, it seems like it's two things, a, a, a PR thing and also enhancing NATO readiness anyways, uh, just to make it simple. And this comes after um, the Russia is pushing uh, migrants towards the border of Finland to try to cause a migration issue in Finland. So this is this is all happening because of the response of one, the the aggression in Ukraine, and also the the push for uh, the pushing inwards of migrants towards Finland. So this is uh this is interesting because we the, the United States kind of on the inside we don't want to be as involved um, in things abroad. It, it seems like the the narrative is we want to look more inward, but yet countries still want us and need us and this sends a message to policymakers saying you know we policymakers want to look inwards but the rest of the world doesn't want u.s policymakers to look inwards so it's very very interesting to see what um our our representatives and our senators are going to do next yeah i definitely agree because it, it goes against exactly and now these these have to be signed in front of Congress still, a majority of them, uh, which I was surprised that a lot of them weren't in the news, you know, the ones that were signed into law from from our Congress. So that was pretty interesting to see. But I, I, I would agree to the sense that obviously it's to enhance NATO readiness. And but I'd also say that I think the United States is desperate. I think Ukraine is desperate. And I think because of the lack of funding that's been going on in recent weeks, how Hungary has prevented the EU from doing a $56 billion package, and also the United States has not been able to trigger a $60 million package. I think President Biden is trying to just get something in there to show that, A, we're not going to abandon Europe, even though our funding is not coming in right now. We're not going to abandon Europe. And B, that if you try, we're going to smash you. We're going to crush you. And I think this is going to invoke a response from Putin that he's not going to be too happy with because he's already seeing NATO as pushing towards his borders. And now the second security pact, I think it might create a dilemma for them as a, from a policy standpoint that, and from a, a, a strategy standpoint that it might piss Putin off enough to, to continue to do what they're doing to Finland and inflict a migrant crisis and maybe continue to just push harder in the, in the spring and maybe even inflicts more harm in the winter than they usually can. Yep. And you know what I, and adding on what you said, I think this is also kind of upgrading our, our intelligence into the region. I think this is also adding to the fact that we need better eyes in Ukraine, uh, better eyes on Russia, and also to protect our EU borders. I mean, we almost missed the fact that all these migrants are going in into Finland, all sent by Russia. So our our intelligence has been very it's been lacking lately and we've seen our lack of intelligence even in um israel and israel between israel and, and uh, hamas where we missed hamas planning for two three years and the united states wants to send probably a message to the world saying our intelligence is still here you know we're going to protect eu borders at all costs so i think these bases also serve as as a forward outpost for for intelligence operations and improving our signals uh, signals intelligence and other geoint intelligence geoint I don't know why I said intelligent after but uh, geoint sigint I think this is just a, a way and also we're we're 
improving NATO intelligence as well. So I think it's just an overall upgrade in in uh in intel for NATO. Yeah, I definitely agree, and I think it also kind of just squeezes Russia into maybe looking at a looking at themselves and rethinking what they're going to do in Ukraine and how they move their intelligence around so that they can not get caught or to prevent any leaks of information. So I definitely think that yeah. while it may not be the best strategy at the moment, I would say between the bipartisanship in Europe and the United States, it's the only strategy we can come up with. So Yeah. And I was just going to say, like, the political uncertainties in the United States is just we might not see a security pact until after the, our 2024 elections, yeah. um, new defense deals and things like that. I think politics-wise, they're going to hold off on any sort of deal to, to gain votes and, and whatnot, you know, bring that idea of the uh, America first. And then after, it's like, okay, back to defense deals, back to doing our thing. So it's, it's, just, a, it's just a cycle. But, they, but Europe needs those bases now. And, you know, from, from my perspective and opinion i think it's uh, a good way to to it's difficult because i don't want to say it's a good way to try to push russia off because again they're going to see this as oh uh, more western uh more western bases near my border i need to keep digging into ukraine and you know creating that border between myself and and europe so but I think it, it should be able to send a message. If its sole purpose is to upgrade NATO intelligence, I think it's a good thing. But if it's just trying to send a message to Russia, I don't think it's gonna work. They they don't they don't care enough. They're gonna they're gonna keep being in Ukraine and I just think this is it it really depends on what message they're trying to send. Yeah. These uh the Europe and the United States with these new bases. Yeah. No, I definitely get that. And uh yeah, I think we can move on to the next one. So I we we discussed this topic because uh, I looked at two articles right next to each other on Reuters. I don't know if they did that on purpose, but there was a poll. <laughs> there was a poll that said that there's a rising number of Palestinians that backs uh, in Gaza and the West Bank that backed the attacks on October seventh, and a rising number of Israelis who say that they need to uh, eradicate Hamas at all costs. Uh, even against uh, losing support and international view. Um, so 72% of respondents to this poll by the Palestinian Center for Policy could be a little biased, but nonetheless, it's still a significant poll. 72% of the respondents said that the attack was correct on October 7th, basically stating that they believed the attack could have happened, that they should have taken and killed the Israelis. And, uh, as we know, there's been 18,608 people killed, uh, civilians killed in Gaza by Israelis, uh, by the IDF. And so this, on the other side, Israel said that they are, most of the people in their country want Hamas to be crushed. I mean, how, how, do, you, how, how do you stop a war that both sides say, well, you know, these things should have happened? Here's the thing, right, with with that poll and the Palestinians uh, thinking that we should have done that they should have done more damage, right, uh, into Israel. Extremism breeds extremism. So you have Israel and Netanyahu saying they're going to absolutely level Gaza, yeah. which then, in response, breeds extremism on the Palestinian side, saying that October seventh should have been much worse. So when when you have one person that breeds 
all these types of extremism and and has such a such a blockade on on Gaza, it's gonna it's gonna have the equal and opposite reaction. So uh, I think that poll is it's a good way to measure, but I just I, I think it's just saying to me personally that extremism breeds extremism. I I think that's just what that poll. Is saying because you'll see you'll you'll be continuing to see that divide between uh, Israel and Palestinians. Um, before it was maybe this, but now it's that. You know, if you're seeing this on camera, yeah. trying to explain the the gap between the uh, the the gap of cooperation amongst two two uh, two countries, two regions. So I think it's it's uh, I it's a type of poll that I look at and I say, okay, well this is because of this. You know, yeah, um, but that's that's my honest opinion uh, about that poll. Yeah, no, it, it it's uh it's very fascinating because Israel is also not going to adjust its strategy. And like I think two days ago, Netanyahu said that they're not going to mm-hmm. adjust their strategy to slow down civilian casualties or or prevent civilian casualties. So this is just going to become even more radicalized. And Joe Biden uh, last week stated that the indiscriminate bombing of Gaza is costing Israeli national support. But most of Israelis, they just, they just don't care. They don't care about the international support at the moment because what they see is a terrorist attack. And now there's a response because of what happened. And, and you, how can you blame them? Look at what we did. Look what the United States did to Iraq and Afghanistan after 9-11. And Iraq had no nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing to do with it. And we we leveled those two countries. Absolutely leveled them. They still hate us to this day. Iraq a little less, but Afghanistan. I mean, they're ruled by the Taliban. The people who were who we were trying to fight, who were harboring Al Qaeda. So now these these polls are suggesting, and, and the fact that the West Bank has a rising number of people who are backing Hamas are suggesting that there could likely not be an end to this war unless. One side is wiped off the face of this earth. That's what the poll says to me. That unless Hamas is gone or Israel Israelis are gone, that this war will not end. For Israel, the the only way they see the end of the war is no Palestine at all. That's what they see. And that's really interesting that you interpret that poll that way. So it's either, you know, the you see as one is going to be the winner. I see it as extremism that needs to be solved. So it really raises the question of will there actually be an end to the Israel-Hamas war without, not without the, uh, and, and kind of still have that two-state solution. So that's kind of the ultimate question. And I have a few things that I think, will still lead to the two-state solution and without the destruction of either side. So my, my, my thing is the end of Netanyahu, full Palestinian sovereignty, and more Arab, uh, more Arab countries, like uh, promoting more role in, the, um, in Arab countries like Saudi Arabia and UAE, and the U.S. needing to hold back in the Security Council. Those are kind of like my four points of if we're going to see an end to this war, and we'll still see a two-state solution. These are the only ways we're going to do it. That's that's how I see it. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting point. And if I want to see, if I were to put my two cents to see a two-state solution, it would be that we need again to get rid of Netanyahu. I think Netanyahu is a cancer to Israel, and I think he doesn't really represent all of Israelis. I think what he's 
doing with his, his control of the IDF is wrong. And I think Israelis see what he's doing is wrong, but also see that they have no choice after what happened, which I, I understand, because a terrorist attack is a terrorist attack. Uh, they shouldn't be bombing children in, in hospitals and everything, but it's still a terrorist attack. Hamas needs to be eradicated, which we all know how difficult eradicating a terrorist group is. Al-Qaeda is still very prevalent. ISIS is still very prevalent. Boko Haram is the largest uh, terrorist organization in Africa. Uh, it's going to be very difficult to eradicate them. But also Iran. Iran needs to drastically, their 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 leadership needs to, to go. And Saudi Arabia needs to take the lead on trying to create the two-state solution. And all the other Arab countries like the UAE, Qatar, and Bahrain need to take the lead on a two-state solution. Or else we're not going to see Israel back a two-state solution if uh, we don't hear more vocal support post what's going on now uh, because before we heard it that that was the whole thing the only way that they were going to normalize relations with saudi arabia is that there was a two-state solution but now we're not hearing that especially from qatar and iran they're they're backing hamas and so that's something that needs to be addressed in order to be a two-state solution i just think the middle eastern countries if they're going to put pressure on uh on israel they need to start isolating israel off of anything middle east related i mean they technically almost israel almost feels as if they're isolated you know it's been difficult for them to make partners uh in the region but i think saudi arabia and the uae are perfectly i know there's going to be i just read it in the news where there's going to be a uae-led humanitarian um project uh draft resolution uh in the united states security council so um I just read this on Al Jazeera, so it's very interesting that the, the you know it's the UAE. I think is the best choice here to lead this humanitarian resolution, and the also the best possible way for the U.S. not to veto some sort of humanitarian assistance because they are the best choice. They're they're the, the when it comes to uh, neutrality when it comes to uh, and Saudi Arabia as well when it comes to neutrality within the. Uh, within the Middle East, because both countries just want to see a peaceful Middle East. Both both of them. So it's, I think the UAE taking the lead on this will m- at least minimize the, the chance of the United States vetoing against something. Yeah. And I think they should also lead more, uh, lead more ceasefire uh, agreements. The United States should have no say. The West should have no say. It is the, That's like the United States, you know, God forbid something happens within the United States. And having another country on the other side of the planet try to broker meet a cease deal, uh, a ceasefire deal. Let let them do it. There is no reason the United States should have a say in in a region. Yes, we do have a say because of geopolitical uh, geopolitical reasons and for our interests. But when it comes to a point where it's just constant extremism and, and to the point where it's dangerous for U.S. interests abroad, I think that we should give more of our trust to our partners of Saudi Arabia, UAE, saying, listen, we effed up. We are still interested in the region. What can you do? What can we do together? I fully agree with that because, look, everyone's always talking about how, you know, people need to be like the West and, the, and, and everyone needs to follow Western values. But when Saudi Arabia or, or or UAE comes out and they have a different viewpoint from the West, they're like, 
Like we did, like we need we want to get rid of Western value. We want to stop pushing Western values. It doesn't just start with culture. It also goes with foreign policy. If we, as the United States and Europe, and I'm not saying we don't deny any humanitarian aid into these places, but we need to let them figure it out themselves. Saudi Arabia, UAE, Oman, and Qatar are perfectly capable and wealthy nations that have influence and a strong military and strong political influence that can make a difference. And Israel listened to them before, and they made uh, uh, relations in 2019. They were so dang close just far just three months ago uh, with with Saudi Arabia. So the point is is that if the West really wants to see change, they need to just get out and leave them to figure it out. Israel. We need to still back Israel. We need to still be their friend and be their partner. But Israel needs to know that it has allies itself within the region. And beforehand, they had very few, and they were starting to get some more when, when Bahrain and, and, Israel, and uh, Saudi Arabia and Qatar and the UAE were becoming more friendly with them. But now it doesn't feel like that. If Israel feels like they're in a corner again and that they have no help. And the U.S. interfering in this and you interfering in this is not helping. Absolutely. And when you have the entire international community condemning the United States for their vote in the secure in the United States Security Council, that should be enough reason to say, okay, we effed up and we're close to losing our ability um, to to push foreign policy in the Middle East. It's time to back off. There there needs to be a stopping point in which the United States says, okay, we effed up, and if we continue to f up. We're going to be isolated from not only the Middle East, but also other other regions where we still need our interests. So, and and I want to talk about the fact that like um, in the UAE uh, between Saudi Arabia and, and the UAE, I'm not saying that the United States shouldn't be there for that talk. They should still be there to kind of listen in and and see where they're going to or where they're going with this conversation. But I think it should be a a, a place where how I'm envisioning it is the Saudi, is Saudi Arabia and the UAE being the center of the attention, and you have these Western and Eastern countries saying, "Okay, here's what I think, and here's what the East thinks," and we have this conversation. Or we need to have a if if a United Nations General Assembly resolution that came that came out and everyone voted right in favor, how is that not going to take such a big precedence? It blows my mind. It it really blows my yeah, mind. Yeah, it's 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 sad to see that something that big cannot take precedence over one Security Council veto. And and I'm not gonna sit here and say that uh, a ceasefire is the solution at the moment because re- the reality is we had a ceasefire for five days with humanitarian pauses and Hamas broke it. You know, there was a ceasefire before the attack on October seventh. And Hamas broke it. So the fact is, is that a ceasefire is not the solution at the moment. But we need to recognize that we are not going to be the ones that are going to solve their issues. They are. And the, fir- the first thing is, is if we really want to see any change, Saudi Arabia and all of them need to come out and they need to condemn Hamas. They haven't done it. 
they haven't condemned Hamas. They don't need to go out there and say, you know, we're going to destroy Gaza. We're going to go there and destroy Hamas. They just need to say what Hamas did was bad. Now, let's come up with a solution. Let's side with Israel and Palestine. Hamas is Hamas. Palestine and Palestinians are different. They're two separate entities. They should not be lumped in together. And I think the Middle East needs to go in with that attitude. With We condemn Hamas. We want to make sure they're destroyed at all costs. But we cannot stand for the IDF absolutely leveling Gaza. And I think we need to also apply that definition with to Western countries as well. Because Western countries still struggle to differentiate between the people who between Hamas and, and Palestinians. And we also need to do a better job at condemning Israel, uh, like you said, condemning IDF for their their casual for committing such casualties. Uh we, we haven't I don't I don't see it. You know, I haven't seen it within yes, Biden is, is saying this and that, but is the United States truly showing that? Not at not at the United Nations Security Council. So I don't know. This is it's a it's a very tricky situation and more I think more needs to be done for a joint effort to stop Hamas. Now I'm not saying, you know, put peacekeepers on the ground because peacekeepers what what can they do? You know, they're probably gonna get obliterated by IDF or Hamas for, for standing in the way. And they never usually work. We need some sort of pact or some sort of security new security force to go in there and say, Listen, Hamas, we're gonna give you this much time. You need to lay down your weapons. And, he, and that's it. Same thing for the IDF. There needs to be something in the middle to prevent both sides from doing that. Humanitarian assistance is a good way to serve as like, okay, don't target the humanitarian assistance. It's going towards it's going towards Gaza. But there needs to be something else, something more where if that middle entity gets destroyed by any side, it's over. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? I'm, tr- I'm just trying to think about, like, we need something more than humanitarian Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that there, there's one thing that you know, we don't want to see more bloodshed. No one of us wants to see more bloodshed. But I think if we really want to see something uh, stopped, is that the Saudis need to send, and, and, and Qatar, and they need to send their troops over and basically tell Israel, like, hey, we're here to keep the peace. We are not going to do anything against your soldiers. We're not going to shoot at Hamas. But you need to allow humanitarian aid in, and we need to solve this issue diplomatically. And on the flip side of things, if we get shot at, if our soldiers get shot at, we're going to rain hell on this place and cause more destruction than what we want. And, and, and if the United States gets involved, then it's over. They need to sit there and try and, and be like, maybe show a little aggression. Maybe a little more aggression might be the key to sh- to say Netanyahu. Oh well, okay, fine. If we're gonna you're gonna send troops over to keep the peace, well, we'll try to come with a diplomatic solution. But at, at the end of the day, I really don't know what could be done to prevent this situation from getting even more worse. I mean, these countries could also use some historical leverage as well and say, listen, look how far we've gotten from point A to point B. 
we still have yet to get to point C. The Middle East is still developing. You know, they're working very hard. Look at UAE. Look at Saudi Arabia. Look at places like Qatar. They're still developing and they're growing economically, infrastructurally, development-wise. They're going to reverse a lot of that progress if there's still geopolitical issues within the region. There needs to be a, a moment where they say, listen, we have our geopolitical issues now, but in 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we're not going to get to where we want to be infrastructurally, development-wise, economic-wise, if we keep up these things that bar us from getting to that point. So I think there just needs to be more talk of the, the future outlook of the Middle East. What a, what a, uh, what a, not a, like, what a more developed and civilized uh, a Middle yeah. East would look like. That's a word. That, I think we need more talks on that because I don't think we're not, we're not bringing this type of conversation up. We're still stuck in the now. And we're not thinking about what a peaceful Middle East could look like, what it would look like, how it would look like. How do we yeah. get there? A multi-step, long-term plan to go from geopolitical issues between Israel and Palestine to a peaceful, coexisting region. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's that's what I think. I I truly believe we need more talks about here was what we were, here's what we can be, here's where we're at now, and if we just back up and look at the bigger picture and take a top-down view and say, look, look how far we've gone. Why reverse yeah. this progress? This world looks at the now too it. much, and it's very sad because the future of what the Middle East could look like and what the world could look like if we would all just take a step back and create a plan instead of using emotions. And there is no plan. There has been no plan. It's just the plan has been, okay, we need to figure out humanitarian assistance. It didn't work. Uh, <laughs> let's do it again. Oh, shit. It didn't work. Uh, yep. Let's do it again. It's just been this continuous cycle of ceasefire humanitarian assistance killing each other. Repeat. And again, it's... It's an endless cycle. <laughs> that's it's unfortunate. All. Yeah. I think it's time we find ways to, to yeah, break that I cycle. Agree. But, yeah. I don't have anything yeah, else no, uh, no good. to say. Cool. All right. Well, thank you all for listening in to this week's latest global developments. And we'll yeah, catch you care. with our topic of the week.